we'll come to the observed effect. <laughs> A podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas <laughs> and at least one good story. Episode 94 First Sighting of the Sea, Valparaiso, where Pablo brought 2,000 refugees. Pablo Neruda's poetry has played a large role in my romantic life, like so many. I won't share the story with you of how exactly, but I'll just say thank you to my wife, Alison. I knew vaguely that Neruda was from Chile and had been exiled at one point, but I didn't fully realize that he was a national treasure and that museums mark three of his former houses along the Chilean coast in Valparaiso, Santiago, and a small town. I knew that he lived in Madrid during the Spanish Civil War. I even knew that he had published his first book of poetry after living in Burma as an administrator for the Chilean government. So when I went to Chile, I asked the museum and his home in Santiago, La Chascona, if they could share how travel shaped Neruda. My deepest thanks to Javier Ormeño Bustos, the collection manager of the Fundación Pablo Neruda, for graciously giving so much of his time to explain this man who, like Walt Whitman, passed in compassion and determination around the whole earth, looking for equals and lovers, and finding them ready for him in all lands. Can you describe where we are for oh. the audience? Uh, in La Chascona or here in the archives? Uh, both, <laughs> both, both. <laughs> so we're in Santiago, Chile, in uh, the city of Santiago, and here is one of the houses of Neruda called La Chascona. Uh, and next to the house of La Chascona, there's the administrative and library and archive of the legacy of that was uh, inherited by Matilda Urrutia, the last wife of Neruda, and it is the place where scholars and, and persons that are interested in Neruda come to visit and research. La Chascona, the house of, of La Chascona, was, he started to build it in 53, he Matilde bought the, the land and they were um, let me dial back a little bit the, the story is that Nerua is returning from his exile and uh, the exile that started in 49 and, re and just returned in 53 to Chile and um, he was living and and having a relationship with Delia del Carril, his partner for the last 15 years, maybe at that time. And but on the side, he was having an an extra marital relationship with Matilda Rudia, a Chilean that he met in Mexico, fell in love. Well, they met earlier, but they fell in love in Mexico and 
when he was in exile and, and parts of Europe and everything and that area they 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 fell in love and got a symbolic marriage to the moon in Italy in a <laughs> Iceland <laughs> called Capri I hadn't heard of that <laughs> yeah he wrote a book called uh, Los Versos del Capitan mm -hmm. it's a poetry book uh, mainly related to love and uh, it's a poem book to her he published it as an anon anonymous work mm. because of his relationship world worldwide known with Daniel Carrillo so he had to published it but as an, an anonymous and when they returned they returned he Delia Carril came to Chile to to take care of the logistics of the return of Neruda to here meanwhile he was traveling with Matilda <laughs> <laughs> from Italy to, to Chile and she got off in the ship they, he traveled by ship preferred method of traveling ship always mm -hmm. didn't like the planes and <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he traveled she got off in Buenos Aires or and he got off in Montevideo mm. which was the next port mm -hmm. travel to Chile and then meet with her here mm -hmm. so while this relationship was uh, he was having this post, post relationship in peril and um, Matilda Rutia was looking for a place to live she was renting a small room she didn't like it so had some money saved and was looking for a place to live and a friend of her told her of this property which is on the foot of the San Cristobal hill mm -hmm. it's the biggest hill of Santiago not the biggest hill of Santiago but it's very visible visible because it's in near the center of the city on top you have this uh, iconic virgin that looks for all the sinners here in <laughs> Santiago <laughs> and uh, and in that time this neighborhood was uh, like an industrial bohemian neighborhood mm. very close to a, uh, this area was known as La Chimba known for its uh, places to drink cheap and <laughs> have a good time so it was a very out of sight part of the city Mm. and obviously the development of the city wasn't this it was all of this was vegetation so mm. when they visited the, the the terrain they encountered this thick ve vegetation that was that grows in the at the south side of the hills here in the San Cristobal and and there they when they came they heard the noise of water running so he, she went with Neruda, visited the, the site for the first time with Neruda, and they got curious and started to explore the terrain. And they found that there was a canal, that, that it's uh, a canal that, that stems off the Mapocho River, goes around the, the San Cristobal, and feeds all the agricultural uh, cultivations and plantations that are um, growing mostly in the north side of Santiago at that time mm. and the canal was an open canal with it even had a like a, a little cascade <laughs> a, a stream <laughs> down that went at some place it got lost in the ground here and went off some kind of piping so when they found that uh, Neruda was in love <laughs> uh, he, 
very nice very close to the center of the city it's about 20 minutes walking to the center of the city mm-hmm. 25 if you will go on a long stretch i just did that yeah. <laughs> from my apartment you can it's a walkable distance to the center but it's out of the center mm-hmm. nobody he knew at that time lived here so mm-hmm. perfect place to <laughs> carry on his clandestine con- mm-hmm. relationship with matilde and um and they started the building. Neruda just won that year the Stalin Award, <laughs> which is like the equivalent of the Nobel for the Soviet bloc at that time. Wow. At the very center of uh, one of the most difficult periods of the Cold War, the 50s, he was awarded with the Stalin Award, <laughs> which also See, entailed some He money. won both. Yeah. <laughs> few persons yeah. the the biggest so yeah it's a recognition of the so- Soviet political bloc it doesn't have the same prestige to the west but in the Soviet realm it was like a big thing yeah yeah and um, it also entailed money so with the money he started the building of this house mm. among other things mm. and the architect that uh, did the building was a a Spanish architect from uh, Barcelona or Catalan, um, Germán Rodríguez Arias, mm-hmm. mo- uh, like a modernist architect. And she presented a project to Neruda. Neruda was a constructor also. He liked construction. The first career, he, when he came from Temuco to Santiago when he was 20, he uh, enrolled in what he let studied letters uh, for being a teacher mm-hmm. but on the side he also entered to study architecture the first year <laughs> until <laughs> he received the first classes in math and <laughs> <laughs> he flunked and <laughs> ran away of it but o- through all his life he was always building and making bigger his houses mm-hmm. every time always so w- th- with the architect he had a long and, and terrible for the architect because he would change the plans <laughs> and 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 also his ma- uh, style of construction was he had an idea of what he wanted and the architect presented something slightly differently and he now he enrailed and mm. to his vision of what he was what would like his house to be mm. for example the living room which has this big window that goes first requirement of Neruda for example was I want a window from ceiling to the floor. <laughs> not a, not common in the 50s in Chile, less. And the uh, architect, no, no, you can't because you have to build a little wall to put the, the frames and then all the of the window planes and everything. No, 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 no. I want it to the <laughs> to the floor. <laughs> so it was this going back and forth, and uh, and the architect planned the house. Also, well, he saw he viewed the terrain, which is very, I don't know, it's called it's scarp, steep, steep, very steep terrain. You have, uh, I don't know what the difference is, but I guess it's around forty meters difference, mm-hmm. and uh, you have this steep terrain. And the first thing he tells them, is you're going to be living, <laughs> uh, climbing ladders all day long because <laughs> of the steep terrain. And they were like, yeah, of course, do it. Lots of letters, place letters <laughs> everywhere. Where you <laughs> <laughs> so the architect also uh, oriented the living room, for example, to the 
Poniente, Poniente, what it's called, where the sun sets. Ah, okay. Yeah. So the the so that the house would receive more light. Mm -hmm. And Neruda was no, no, no. I don't care to see the city because in that orientation you see the city, the center of the city. I want to face it, to face and see the mountains, mm. <laughs> the cordillera, like cordillera de los Andes, these big mountains that uh, it's like the part of the landscape in Santiago. Yeah, can you describe what it looks like? Right now we can't see them, they're covered in smog, but... I don't, well, I l I, when I was little, I lived in Belgium. It was a very flat terrain, and I remembered that there, there was this little mound about 10 meters high or 50 meters, and for me, that was a mountain. Yeah. My mother always laughed when I said, oh, we're going to the mountain. Because when I came to Chile, you see what really living so close to mountains that are San el, el Plomo, El Cerro El Plomo, which is the highest mountain here, it has 6,000 meters, mm. you know, miles, miles, I know we get wrong the conversion, but it's mm -hmm. high mountains. Yeah. And you had all this one after another. And if you climb them, to go to the top, you think, ah, on the other side is Argentina? No, you as far as you <laughs> your eyes can see, you see mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain and it's always uh, covered with snow on the tops mm -hmm. and one of the and, and one of the arms of these mountains is this uh, we call it cordon montañoso you have the manquehue then the san cristobal then the santa lucia it's mm -hmm. part of the same mountain ridge mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. know what mm -hmm. it's called mm -hmm. and um, so the mountains in in this part in every part of Chile, it's a big part of the landscape. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Neruda also incorporates that in the poetry because it unifies all of Latin America. Mm -hmm. It's the same mountain that starts in North America, mm -hmm. goes through Mexico, goes through Central America, and plunges in the sea in the south of Chile. Mm -hmm. It's the same mountain. It's the same. Uh, theological formation so it's also this unifier of the American continent yeah. and so obviously you didn't want to see the city <laughs> <laughs> when you have this mountain to, to view mm. unfortunately if you look today we see barely uh, uh, in the first plane or near near the property you see this modern construction mm. a tree that a tree that has grown a lot and all these buildings that were developed mm. from the 50s onwards the city still so got in the way the city <laughs> got in the way with the city came the smog and you barely see the mountains today it's amazing it's, uh, only when it rains after the rains you get this clear view of the mountain and as it rains it also topped the, the snow goes down and, and you can see this mm. big white mountain just at a it seems like an arm's reach but <laughs> it's very far <laughs> in reality and uh, can you explain the meaning of la chascona also la chascona chascona it's a spanish ter term uh, like a colloquial term for when you have your hair messy mm -hmm. uh, and i don't know other terms to <laughs> refer to messy hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and it was a nickname that he gave to Matilde mm, mm, mm. because he had this uh, very exuberant red hair. Yeah, and he was 
in love with it. <laughs> <laughs> so this house that was built as like a love nest for mm. them, for both, mm. uh, he always baptized everything. His yeah. houses, his works, his friends, he always was inventing nicknames and, and, and inventing words with them. Yeah. And the word from for, for this house was La Chascona. Mm. So, uh, for any of my listeners who may not have read Neruda and only know him Shame from a distance, Shame okay. Well, can you explain why is Neruda important in your mm. point of view? Well, as, as I said before, I'm not uh, of uh, a researcher, or in, uh, my background is not in poetry and or in literature, but. But you're Chilean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Neruda po Neruda's poetry is very. What they say, the academics say, is that it is important because it it changes the the, the poetry. It's an innovation of poetry. I don't know exactly why they they frame it as such, mm. but it, it is. Um, it, and it goes all the, all the different styles of the of his time. He mm -hmm. started as a like modernist poetry, very in the style of French poets, mm -hmm. and with also Walt Whitman was one of his biggest inspiration also. So he continues that tradition in Spanish. He uh, he reaches the mo very dark existential poetry in Residencia en la Tierra. Mm -hmm. Then he goes on and takes this shift to the political poetry in España en el Corazón, or the, 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 the last residen the residencia in La Tierra is uh, three books. The first one, when he is traveling, he wrote it, in fact, when he was traveling and, and living in Santiago. Mm. And a part of it and finished it in, in the East. Mm -hmm. Then when he travels to to Spain, he continued publishing Residencia en la Tierra 2 y 3, mm -hmm. uh, 2 and 3. And then, then he takes this political turn. He experienced the, the, in the beginning of the civil war in Spain and uh, first-handed. And it's a very direct, easy, it's a, he, the, the first poetry, it, it, goes, it has all this poetic image construction and, and it's very more ethereal mm -hmm. but then it takes this very direct easy to understand poetry because he's looking out of his window and you see the bullets the blood on the streets mm. and the fascist movement that is arising in Europe and it's a reaction as a reaction to that you get this very rough poetry of the time and also there, I there he um, assumes the, the, his commitment to the political party of the communist political party. Mm -hmm. And because it was, it's like a, uh, an experience when when they're shooting your friends down. Well, his friends, uh, yeah. Lorca. When he, when he first of all, and you also have it start with. Let's go back. In Chile, he one of the first uh, books he published was um, Crepusculario. It's uh, not a it's important because it was his its first, and he he got a renown in Santiago. Mm 
Then he published 20 poemas de amor y una canción desesperada. 20 love poems and a desperate song. It's a love book, a love poetry. Uh, very torn and uh, emotionally <laughs> deep and, and committed love. So you get that kind of poetry and it was a big success and, and you s could still read it today and it, it doesn't uh, see so out of time to mm -hmm. from today. Very modern poetry. Mm -hmm. and, and then, so he was very recognized as a poet in Chile in Santiago, which given the small <laughs> number of population in the time and the circle, uh, kind of a, uh, his first accomplishment was this recognition, but you can live with poetry. So he embarked on this career as a consul by choice, which is like the worst <laughs> kind of job you have as a consul. Mm. He described it as when he goes to the office of the foreign ministry relations and, and they pick a, a, a globo terraqueo, a, a globe, mm -hmm. a world globe, mm -hmm. and he fingers a crack in the, in this <laughs> map. <laughs> There's a crack that that it's, I don't remember if it's Java or Birmania. The first stations as as a consul. Mm. They say, yeah, there you're going. <laughs> so they send him <laughs> in this low-paying, not fancy job, and it but it 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 well, helps him it escape. It was. Burma, right? Burma, yeah. That was the first one, I think. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they just, uh, just yeah, like that, just pointed at a crack on the map. We need somebody there. <laughs> ended up in Burma. Yeah. They oh exported gosh. tea, and Chile, as always, <laughs> always is, a big consumer of tea. And they exported tea, and he was the person that signs off and <laughs> collects the tax of exportation for tea shipments to Chile. And they paid, he, he described as a low paying, not classy, and um, uh, very rough work because sometimes the payments, his payments were dependent on the shipments. And sometimes you have six months with no shipment and he had to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, so he, it was a very dark, difficult times for him also. But it, it also helped him escape the life he was leading here, very bohemian driven uh, and it has all this glamour, the bohemian glamour, but it also had friends dying mm. because of tuberculosis, uh, sickness and poverty in general so uh, he had to escape somehow that and that is why also he takes this job and also I guess it's uh, an impulse to discover the world mm -hmm this small <laughs> little boy from the f the frontiers of uh, the south frontier and of Temuco I and he reads all this book of Salgari and, and uh, Sandokan <laughs> so this these adventure stories of the, the the Middle East and he decided later on to go to that those places it's like also that and so when he goes there there he published um, Residencia en la Tierra book he was working on from Santiago and with that book he he got recognition and, and got a, a spot and, 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 and was recognized by Spanish poets living in Spain and, and in, in Argentina also and from there on so when he goes to Spain as a consul he already is known and uh, presented directly to the literary circle um, of poets and, and novelists of Spain. It's mm -hmm. a generation called the Generación del 27. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. It's a big generation of poets that has similar topics. And yeah, he knows all those, all of this. He makes friends with them, very close friends. And he experienced the prosecution once the civil war started and the execution of Garcia Lorca and also of Miguel Hernandez, which also was a, a poet, a Spanish poet, very dear to him. Our interview in Javier's office in La Chascona was interrupted by his work midway, so we agreed to continue by video later. I called him back from Cusco in Peru, just after having climbed Machu Picchu. And well, he he went back. Um, he had to flee Spain. And, and took a ship, I guess it was trying to remember if he went to Chile or directly to Mexico mm-hmm. and assumed, um, let, me, let me try to recollect well, my, my Wait, let's go. No, he, he went back to Chile. He went back to Chile and during that time, I don't know how it was um, organized for the first time or who, who was the, the idea, but it was uh, uh, the government at that time, Pedro, the president Pedro Irre Cerda, um, was interested. Was interested in doing this uh, humanitarian exile and, and facilitate the, the escape of Spanish persons who were fleeing from Spain and were being held down in the concentration camps in the south of France. Mm. Some of them ended up in, in these uh, concentration camps as refugees, very similar probably to the ones you, you saw in Greece, mm-hmm. yeah. which are barely bare, bare wire, um, tents, and, and, and very not, 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 not a safe place to be a lot, long time. And you have to think that uh, most of these uh, the, the persons that were fleeing the refugees were crossing uh, cross-country mountain ranges. And, and so it was a long journey being uh, attacked on the way and arrived to a, a prison, basically. They were fleeing the Civil War or they were fleeing yes. Franco specifically? No, the Civil were, War. <coughs> Frank, were they the, all types of uh, politics or were they specifically um, against Franco? Basically, more against Franco, but yeah. but you have an entire family. So so if if the, for example, the the husband was actively in politics, he had to flee with his family basically because otherwise they they would be um, more exposed and 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 it wasn't a a good time to to stay in. in in Spain because of the hostilities also. There were the, it's a civil war, so you have um, hostility from both sides. And, and, and Franco was winning the war at that time. Mm-hmm. So they fled. Not everybody ended in the prison camps for some way or another. Some, somehow um, much of them went, were, were able to travel through, through France. Mm-hmm. And this is before, obviously, the 
the rise of and and the declaration of war from from Germany also. Mm-hmm. But the the, the sentiment in, and uh, the ambience, the political ambience in Europe was basically the rise of fascism. You have mm-hmm. Mussolini in Italy, Hitler in in, in Germany, and well, and so Pedro I. Reserda and uh, commissions this um, the exile and the, the 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 trip of the of a ship to bring to Chile and as much of Spanish persons that they could find, especially and their interest was um, especially um, persons that have some profession or technical skills mm. that could be useful in Chile to develop industry or or integrate uh, uh, the labor force. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because they, they were highly skilled technicians, basically, mm-hmm. among others. And the, so this, this, this war, the, um, there was this initiative and they offered to Neruda to take charge of this special consulate, consulate in the French embassy. So it's a diplomatic, uh, I don't know how it's called. Uh, it's a special, it's, it's, it's one, one special consul just to take care of this initiative. Mm-hmm. And, and why did they choose Neruda? I'm not so familiar with the history, but yeah. um, Neruda was obviously integrated the, the political coalition that was ruling at that time in Chile and or was uh, close to them and because of his role recent role in the as a consul in spain he had all the contacts i think that it, that is that was the reason he had all the contacts with person in spain and was familiar with also france and the language so he was a, a good pick for that mm-hmm. and he went he went on he was writing the he wanted to start writing the. Um, ah, no, no, I'm sorry. And he traveled to France. They gave him a little room in the embassy. He, w- what he says in his memoirs, uh, is that the, he sensed a lot of hostility also from the ambassador in France and and the personnel of, that was working the ambassador for his because uh, political reasons, because obviously Neruda was trying to save a lot of Spanish, which were, they were um, left leaning, obviously, mm-hmm. and they were very conservative and, and, and more right leaning political in this political spectrum. So, and he broke his leg, I don't remember, or had a, for some reason, I don't recall why, but he had uh, this cast leg and he had to all, <laughs> and they gave him the smallest and, and <laughs> more uh, a room in a, um, that was very difficult for him to even move to her, his office. <laughs> but somehow he managed to, well, listening to all the, the testimonies and, and the persons that were asking for political asylum, asylum and, and, and willing to enroll in this uh, ship he was organizing 
so he, compared to that, it was nothing. He he was the one who screened them. Yes, exactly. Wow. So he would make the all the interviews, asking what the names, uh, what were the their um, officio. I don't know how what's the word in English. Officio is a trade. Yeah, their, profession. Their, uh, profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So they he asked about that. Uh, how many uh, with how many fam family is are they traveling? If they it's him, him, his wife, brothers, or so he was making all this map, and so he he was recollecting the names and and selecting. Mm -hmm. The criteria for how he selected are not clear. I, I don't. I'm not familiar with them. His only mandate was to bring persons that might uh, um, be able to develop a skill or or a labor or, or a trade in Chile. Mm -hmm. And um, I recall one, for example, that was a, a person that, that went to him, and and when he asked Neruda. Uh, so when Neruda asked him what what was his what what is his trade, he tells him that he uh, plants and recollects and elaborates um, the alcornoque. It's a tree that from which you make the the barb of the tree is what you make corchos. Um, I don't know the English word. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a bottle of wine, the cork, cork. Ah, okay, yeah, the cork tree. Cork tree. He planted yeah. cork tree and elaborated corks. Wow. And Neruda tells him, but in Chile we don't plant cork trees. Well, there, there isn't a cork tree industry, a large one. And, and the person, well, now there will be one. <laughs> and so obviously Neruda, in his, this is from his memoirs, he doesn't, and, Perfect. That is the kind of persons we want in Chile, and so consider yourself enrolled. And to all of them, and on the side, he was also organizing the ship because he had to contact and buy um, a ship, uh, adapt it, and, and, and modify it so that a person would be able to make this transoceanic uh, journey. And Wait, I just have to check. So, is there a cork tree industry in Chile now? Yes, yes. I haven't fact checked it. <laughs> I, I, I guess there was one before him, but who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, wine is so important in Chile. There must be. You must have a way to cork get cork trees easily. <laughs> you need yeah, the cork I, for the wine in Chile, also. <laughs> that is the obvious reason, but. Um, Cork is used in, it has a lot of other applications, sure. but, but in Chile, obviously wine, the wine industry is, is a big industry here. Yeah, yeah, okay, I just uh, checked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but didn't, I haven't fact-checked it. Okay. If there was or wasn't a cork industry before the arrival of this person. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the persons that, that came from this, in total, he assembled, um, Two, two, two thousand, two those mil, yeah, yeah, two thousand yeah. persons, yeah. Wow, more or less, on this group. ship, and it was um, like a freight ship uh, that that wasn't that made for persons, but 
they bought it and adapted it and renamed it Winnipeg, <laughs> or it was called Winnipeg. Okay. And this this is interesting. This is done also with not only financed by Chile, but uh, I think uh, I'm not recalling if it was half or a quarter of the expenses of this was financed by guess who? I have no idea. The Church of the Church of the Quakers. Wow. Quakers. Yes. Really? Because they have all this anti-Bellic uh, stance and, and discourse. The Quakers finance a part of this journey uh, of the Winnipeg. Wow. Amazing. And so in, in his memoirs, Neruda also mentions that whenever he is faced or, or encounters something related to the Quakers, he always makes a nod and, and uh, a sign of respect for them because <laughs> they no not it's for me it's, uh, it's not clear how they uh, find found out or of this initiative but it, uh, neruda tells the story that they, in fact they they did contribute to the to the finance of this because you have to well, buy the ship, uh, staff it, and make make it all the legal and, and every everything. There's a lot of bureaucratic also process involved. Neruda fought them and, and and labored hard. And at times he mentions in his memory, I, and I don't know if it this is. Uh, I guess no, this is has been fact checked, but. When the ship was ready, the two thousand persons were congregated and 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 cited to appear in the port. Um, at that time, that the day was the port of. Let me remember. Oh, I forgot the port, <laughs> uh, French port. Um, so he and he received a telegram the day after before uh, that. The, the trip was canceled for some diplomatic reason or something like that. So very, if, and so he, he told a, a wire back to Chile telling the ship has to go because everything is, is ready to go and the persons are ready to board. And, and so it was a very, until the last minute, high suspense and um, to, to, to pull this off because it was very difficult. Yeah, and so they ship the persons and very emotive uh, the goodbyes uh, at the port and set sail for um, El Estrecho de Panama, the mm -hmm. Panama Canal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and goes down from Chile. In the meantime, Neruda also edited a small book, a leaflet. Um, it's about eight pages. With uh, that calls uh, that it's it's titled Chile os acoge, Chile receives uh, you, <laughs> and it's a, a small introduction to the the geography of Chile, what kind of places there are, and and the political organization, some excerpts from the constitution that are relevant to them, for example. The right to assemble freely and, and, and uh, other basic rights that are relevant for the persons and um, and some images of Chile of the north the desert in the north the valleys in the middle lands uh, the mountain ranges the ports 
and uh, the south, the Chile south. And um, so they make the journey. On the way, there are some backstories for. There was even a, a mutiny attempt at some point, and <laughs> because I um, don't remember why it was. Um, but sorry, sorry, okay. I didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> because, but there was a. They faced a lot of uh, hardship du during the, the voyage also, mm -hmm. because you have. Uh, it's a long journey. It, took maybe three or six months maybe traveling in, in this boat and and on the way well they may and once they reached Chile they they made a lot of stops in the first from the north so they arrived from the north and were some people took off in in Arica the, the northern ports of Chile and the ship arrived finally in Valparaíso and it was received with the, the the Spanish community, which is also a, was a large community and very organized community, and they also had uh, resources. So they uh, organized the reception of the refugees. And in the port of Valparaíso, they, they made this big celebration of the arrival of the refugees, welcoming their fellow uh, Spanish men and also Chilean person went also to receive them with flowers and a big like a, a very welcoming uh, arri arrival mm. the refugees also made on the journey here on the in the ship some paintings in, in honor of the president and they hanged it in of the ship and and then um, once they arrived they started well uh, being received basically in the for, from the community, the local communities. Some of the testimonies I have read um, tells, for example, story of uh, so they arrive and and they're already taken by a family adopts or has a, a room to spare and, and facilitates the room, gives the person a job, have, helps in contact them with other. A person that might help him to develop a trade or, or to start a business and that kicks off and, and and it has a very significant impact in the cultural and social life in Chile. There are uh, renowned artists, um, businessmen and um, designers for example architects that are or directly they uh, refugees in the winnipeg or descendant of the, the refugees in the winnipeg they have uh, until the day today they have a, a, a group a group uh, of descendants or, or winnipeg uh, refugees that are still in contact and organize from time to time different uh, activities and publish books or do research about um, the whole story uh, of the Winnipeg the, and uh, the effect it had and the life of these persons once they arrive in Chile. So, for example, a small example, um, three, some of them, of the refugees formed, um, they, they were making, they were designers 
mm -hmm. and made uh, chairs and tables. So they had that knowledge and with locals, other Spanish persons that lived in the Spanish colony that lived in Chile, received them and started to make a business that made uh, furniture. Mm -hmm. They called it Sur Design. And it's until today, it's a very big company that, that elaborates and fabricates uh, furniture. And some of the criticism that Neruda received of the winning of this uh, evacuation of the refugees is that he selected persons that were uh, from the Communist Party only. Mm. So he favored the Communist Party, which was... Uh, Neruda was not a, a formal affiliated with, but he was very close to uh, the Communist Party at that time. And but it, it's the re recent research that has been um, taken uh, developed has shown that no, he he selected person by based on the traits and personal characteristic and the interview how they mm. how they went and um, but there was also anarchist socialist uh, communist or not even related to political parties they they all had a place in the winnipeg and is there any indication of how this experience impacted neruda did it yeah. change him well the the civil war affected him profoundly because mm -hmm. uh, there's this shift in his poetry also and the realization that the, the injustice that uh, he always saw in the world when he was living in temugo or in the far east uh, in birmania and, and the far east um, he had this social sensibility. So when faced with the consequences of the, the Spanish Republic and, and what it entailed and the rise of fascism and was very committed since then to the Communist Party in part because he, I don't remember if it's Neruda or if I got it mixed with testimonies of others, but of all the parties that were operating in, the, in Spain, the Communist Party was the more organized, disciplined, and more um, um, aimed towards the human progress, the prog social progress and conditions and fair conditions of workers and poor, the poor people. And the anarchists did, didn't weren't in, in that uh, on the same page in that. And he, for some reason, he had more feeling with that. And it also changed him because um, it gave, gave him a humanitarian perspective also or the atrocities of war and um, being chased, being exiled from their country. He helped them basically being in this process of the person. And it's a thing that will occur to him. 10 years later, he will be facing exile from Chile. So, he will receive also help from unknown unknown person, and he will uh, re re. Uh, it, there's a, a commitment and a deep understanding of what it means to be persecuted. 
for political reasons mm -hmm. and, and receiving kindness and help from unknown person that maybe that are taking a risk helping others or other person um, it it obviously connects with a, a humanitarian sentiment that, that we're we have to help each other because <laughs> the, so and he this 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 event the, the Winnipeg exiled um he re he remembers it in his poetry in the uh, acceptance of the Nobel Prize, for example. He mentions it also, and and there's a phrase in his memoirs or one of his books. It's Memorial de Isla Negra or his memoirs it, it, that basically says, well, um, the critics can take apart all my books, all my work, my poetic work. But this action, this is really the best thing I have done. This is my best work, the, the work with of the, the ref, Spanish refugees. That, that he, he considered it, that they can take all his work, but they cannot take this, this, this act that he um, did. Wow. He considered it very important, more important in, in his words than his poetic uh, work. Uh, yes, it, it was very important to him. There's one more part of Neruda's story that I want you to talk about. Can you talk about the figurehead again? <laughs> so, well, Neruda had this interest in, in, the, in all things related to the, the sea, the ocean. And one of them was obviously... Um, including the exploration of the oceans and, and not nautical elements. Ruda um, <laughs> was very interesting, interested in, in the explorators yeah. of, the, of the Pacific, of Latin America, because when he started to write, uh, the project started as El Canto General de Chile. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it yeah, was yeah. A, a this kind of epic poem on the history of Chile and his its geography and, and, and political and social history. And then it spawned bigger to the Canto General. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, entailed this Latin American history, basically. Yeah. And doing that research, he was reading all these accounts of naturalists and explorers, mm -hmm. the first explorers and everything. And so, and if you could, can't open the library because there is not here, but yeah. the books he collected are very important relating to that period of time and that subject, the exploration of not only Latin America, but also the Pacific ice, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Because it was, uh, his inspiration since he was 15 and traveled from Temuco to the coast of Temuco that it's a little place called Puerto Saavedra Port mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and um, and he's he got this first impression of the sea the sea is very big wave very loud and very cold also and so he 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 retained that image of the sea mm -hmm. and, of th and the whole the whole journey he retained 
from waking up at 4 a.m. by his father uh, <laughs> whistling <laughs> because he was the, the, the train, the train, uh, he worked in the trains. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a train conductor. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what we uh, call it, train. Yeah, train conductor. Yeah. So he started 4 a.m. whistling in the house, everybody get up, <laughs> and big, big loud voice and all of them. And they packed the house because the mattresses, everything went into big crates and packed on the on the um, train mm -hmm. that circled all this way from Tem in the south from Temuco to to the last part of the train that's called Imperial. Mm. And from Imperial, that's the end of the line. They they went to Puerto Saavedra and mm. and Baja Imperial. It's like a, on a hill, and Baja Imperial, it's, it's the down part where the river goes. Mm -hmm. And he recalls all that journey, and uh, about 15 years, the, the age he had, and, and the impression of the sea, the sighting of the sea for first time, mm. this massive amount of water and noise, the cold, and, and uh, it made a very big impression, and so, so much that the sea from there on, it's part of Nerua's poetry since mm. then. Mm. And, and and if you read his memoirs or his poetry, the, the sea is always there mm. in all of its facets. And obviously one of them is the explorers. Yeah. So one of, for example, you get the facet of uh, the sea life, what lives in the sea, uh, the story, the mythology relating to sea, myth creation creation myths that are retained. He knew all of them. And also the the Pacific exploration, the, the time the first cartographers. So that's why when you re, uh, visit the houses, mm -hmm. in all three of them you can see there are these maps. Unfortunately, Chascona not so much, but La Sebastiana has them, Isla Negra has much more maps that are the first explorers, the Dutch Hollanders and cartographers or French explorers that mapped the mm -hmm. Latin continent and the seas, mm -hmm. including the Antarctica, and he was very interesting in that. He collected all this, it was a topic of his interest. And the stories, especially Captain Cook's, for example, the journeys of Captain Cook, the, the first editions of those stories, all of them are part of his collection. Um, the French explorers, I don't recall his name, La, La Trec, Lamarck. Well, the 19th century uh, scientific expeditions all over Latin America and and the Pacific Ocean also mm -hmm. read all the books and and he and in one of the letters he sent to a friend he found uh, also a writer he finds it remarkable that this this old stuffy naturalist of the 19th century described the territory with with great poetry, for example, the, there's one of Felipe, a naturalist that basically explored Chile, writing about volcanoes and how the earth, the, this massive amount of heat and, and, and how the, this erupts in volcano and forms the, the Andes court, uh, mountain court. And they describe it obviously. I can I'm butchering it, <laughs> but the, the very beautifully. And Rula recognized poetry in this description of this, what he was was expecting, stuffy, 
uh, and dry, very dry language of naturalist was very had a very poetic tone for him, or interpreted it as a very poetic tone. Mm -hmm. So, well, like uh, Darwin, who came yeah, here and wrote so beautifully about this area, especially Valparaíso. <laughs> Valparaíso, La Campana, also in Concepcion, in the very beautiful, but also very well part of the times, the, the description yeah. of the humans in, in the <laughs> that's true the subhumans of the true. Patagonia. Yes, yeah, you got. But it's part of the history. So, so what do you think this meant to Neruda? Why was he so fascinated with this topic? Mm. You should ask Hernán Loyola. He's the or Darío. Darío says he. They are more knowledgeable. I don't know. From I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, but he was a very curious, curious person, Neruda. Not only his interests were, were vast, and then if if you have to explain or, or, or try to make some kind of common some common ground in, in in why he had such a fascination for a vast amount of topics relating to this, it was part of um, what in what in it inspired his poetry also, mm -hmm. which is trying to make uh, a count via poetry, an exploration through poetry of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the scientific endeavor of the, since modern times, and especially in the 19th century, was that, the description and the classification and the knowledge of the world. Mm -hmm. So they, they, had, they shared that goal. Mm -hmm. They, through the scientific methods, and uh, all these accounts and the cartography and Neruda through a poetic mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. a path. And the figurehead, which is this carved wood figure that usually went in the front of the ship, the probe. Mm -hmm. And there they... Um, Usually, it's figures of uh, women or, or men, or historical characters, or or allegorical figures relating to something. And Neruda was, uh, since the first one he bought was in Punta Arenas, which is the south of Chile, a very <laughs> this kind of uh, shipwreck that had still had this figurehead uh, on it and. He made all the arranges to take it down and ship it back to Isla Negra and, and made a poem, dedicated a poem, which is in Canto General. And the figure, the figureheads, usually in Arula, it has all this layer because it's usually a female figure. So, uh, and they have um, this history of navigating the sea. They are. <laughs> Objects that went went crossed the the Maga, the uh, Magallanian Strait and faced tur um, hurricanes and <laughs> burning sun and <laughs> went all these latitudes and all of the recollections that, that and, and they they enabled Neruda to fantasize about the story behind this figurehead. So 
the elements they face, the stories of the ships, maybe. And so it's it's something that a lot Neruda does a lot with objects. The object inspires him in part or to well, in part his poetry. And he started collecting figureheads. So, and they all have this. And they are not pristine figureheads usually, the, the, or at least the ones that really uh, made this travel. So they are cracked, they have missing parts or uh, burning marks, so they have uh, stories to tell about them. And Neruda um, valued that. Mm. And also, and so he. He, he elaborates some poets in Canto General or some in Navegación y Regreso. I think there's another one. But in 66, he wrote a book that is called um, Una Casa en la Arena, A House in the Sand. Um, and that it, it's a translated book, so it's easy to find in English. And I totally recommend you uh, look that up because in, in that book, one of the many things he does is write about these figureheads. So in, in the figureheads, for example, and elaborates a story, a backstory of them. For, and one of them was La Chimbelina, which is a figurehead, a female figurehead that, according to Neruda, his poetic licenses, obviously here, that the figurehead was sailing in the north of Chile and um, the ship crew uh, were, was getting constantly lost and the compass, the, the bearing of the ship was, was off. It wasn't pointing north. And, and the ship crew uh, had this idea that the figurehead somehow was altering this, uh, the ship's compass. So what the, the ship crew had to do was cut the figurehead off the ship and bury it in the sand so so the ship could resume its march and its course and not be uh, put off course by the figurehead so they buried the figurehead in the sand and there is obviously when Neruda obviously gets the recollects the figureheads and and right elaborates it and and well the, the, that that story, maybe that was what we talked about. Or not? That's exactly it. Yep. <laughs> but all of them have this funny story or figures that have to be rescued by Nebula. They have <laughs> poor figures that have <laughs> so much in, in their lives and, and they, they have seen the horrors of the, <laughs> and the beauty of the sea. And now they have to rest in his house, obviously. So that is why he collects them. And, and puts them then safe and re reunites them with other figureheads so they can uh, contemplate the ocean. Okay, so Javier, there's one more thing we have to do. What about you? What's your best travel story? Ah. <laughs> Oh, I didn't get. Oh, this it's. Uh, yeah, okay. It's uh, the question. <laughs> all all your episode end with this question. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, this episode yeah. is about Neruda, and you, 
this is about Neruda and you've already told amazing stories about him, but um, surely you have been changed by travel also. Mm. Uh, well, the I guess it's the most it's, uh, most important or uh, it had a significance for me. Uh, it's it's um, when I was um, my parents lived in Chile in, in the eighties, and um, they both studied English English uh, to, to become a teachers. English teachers, and um, they wanted to pursue uh, study abroad, and so they started to. They ended up doing um, pursuing a post post career uh, master and doctorate in Belgium. So when I was three, they moved to Belgium. I started my memory starts. Uh, when I'm, I, as far as I can remember, uh, I'm, I, it's always in Belgium. So I was raised in Belgium and until I was about 10, 10 or 11. And the, so the journey I remember most was the journey back mm. from being <laughs> raised in Belgium, which is totally different country from Chile, uh, the journey back to Chile, which was this always uh, mentioned by my by my parents and and other students that were also from chile or different parts of latin america so it was this very mythical land and, and, <laughs> and i always heard that there were so much stories or they have the, this typical uh, coffee table books of photographs of South America and I always uh, went through the pages and, and like uh, really enjoyed the, the images and, and because it was totally different from from what I, I knew at that time it was uh, Belgium and on the holidays we went to got on this car and traveled to Italy or France and with <laughs> on a student budget <laughs> so you can imagine with two kids <laughs> a lot of camping and also being received with friends of my parents and so the big journey was this this ex all this expectation of going to a totally different country uh, the home country and uh, for an, an 11 years i was 10 or 11 10, 10 years yeah I, and so it was a very in this the the eyes of uh, children I think it was never experienced uh, a travel like that because also we went passed through USA visit uh, an, an aunt of my mother in Florida and uh, so all of this meeting the family because they, my my father has seven brothers had my father passed away had uh, seven brothers so the family there were about 20 something cousins and when we arrived they made this whole big party when we arrived and met, meet the, the whole family person that I, I never knew before then suddenly were giving me hugs and talking to me and I had to learn also 
Spanish, how it's talked in Chile, because obviously <laughs> I talked uh, uh, Flemish in 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 the school and, and and saw TV in English, but with my parents, I always talked in Spanish, and, and so for me it was very difficult to understand a lot of. Uh, so adapting, making that journey, it's, I guess it's um, most important. And I remember being amazed. That is, that is what, what I most recall of the whole, the whole journey. It's, it's very far now from <laughs> a lot of past, but um, the sense of being, seeing a totally different person on the voyage, including, uh, for example, the airport in, in, in the USA we had uh, where we stopped seeing uh, going to a McDonald's and then they have this big cup they hand you a liter most <laughs> barely could grab it in, in my hands and you could ask for a refill <laughs> so alien experience because, uh, and also well arriving in Chile and seeing the mountains, for example, the Cordillera Los Andes, being really impressed by the landscape also. But the personal, and also seeing the, the poverty, because obviously there's a big difference and I never experienced poor, poverty. And when you arrive to Chile, and uh, the, on the way from the airport to the city, you see, you, you pass this, like, poblaciones um, and, the term would be more similar uh, shanty i don't know if you couldn't describe it because yeah it's, it's very poor construction and you see and, and being um, accustomed to that the also thing the, the other thing that amazed me was that in chile um stranger talked to you <laughs> in belgium it, it's very odd that a stranger would uh, make a small conversation and uh, or random conversation on on anything it's very oh i didn't recall that it, it was the norm so when we arrived and 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 my mother started talking with the cab driver for example and i was really amazed by but <laughs> how do you do you, you don't know this person why are, are we talking <laughs> so, <laughs> that is well in Chile and South America in general the people are very fun to talk and, and, and so that is uh, the 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 journey that amazed me most because it was uh, because of the differences basically the, the contrast was very sharp and obviously had this all this emotional baggage attached to it. Well. If that's the reason why you talked to me, a stranger, <laughs> thank you to Chile so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I always talk to strangers. <laughs> thank you so much, Javier for so beautifully condensing such a varied life of travel. I could listen to you forever. If you're interested in learning more about the story of the Winnipeg, 
you can check the links on our webpage. Thank you to Dana Boulay for her music. And of course, you have to go to La Chascona in Santiago, Chile and visit the museum. They do wonderful work there and the foundation does incredible programs. Uh, you can follow links uh, to visit those sites as well from our webpage. Or go right now and pick up a copy of Neruda's poems or just travel. That is, um, it's really important to, to see and experience different cultures. It changes person. It changes the person that, that makes the travel. It changes the person that receives or interacts with travelers also. And you can get a, it's a, the, it's one of the ways you have a different perspective on the world. <laughs>